Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 is going to be our text for tonight. Um, we are continuing our series of What About, and tonight is What About the Sufficiency of Christ. Um, since we looked at What About Philosophy in our last study, um, we want to look now at the sufficiency of Christ because we use Colossians 2.8 to demonstrate the insufficiency of philosophy, and Paul follows up in the next two verses with the sufficiency of Christ. Um, he warned the Colossians of the insufficiency, um, the eminent danger being that of empty delusion, centered on human tradition and the wisdom of the world, not after Christ, unable to reveal uh, God or a person to be saved. Therefore, Paul now moves on to declare the sufficiency of Christ in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, uh, in bodily form, in whom they were complete, being the head of all authority and power. How attractive it is when um, a believer is ensnared and deceived to seek what he already possesses, not recognizing what he has, adding to their own hurt. My position in Christ is what God did for me. My development in Christ is what God does in me. My being used in Christ is what God does through me. Abiding in Christ Jesus. Take note that between our completeness in Christ and the process of development, there will be many attempts to deceive the believer. If there is no possibility for the deceiver to, for the believer to be deceived, then you wouldn't have to write the New Testament. All the epistles are polemic. They're combating heresy. They're declaring to the believer, do not be deceived. Now, in contrast to the insufficiency of philosophy in verse 8, Paul gives the sufficiency of Christ in verse 9 to 15. The proclamation is stated first in verse 9 and 10. Then the particulars of that sufficiency are spelled out in verse 11 through 15. We're going to focus on the proclamation of the sufficiency of Christ, which is characterized by three things. Let me read here. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Here's the three truths that is characterized by. First, in verse 9, Christ is the fullness of God in himself. Second, Christians receive the fullness of God in Christ. The first part of 10. Thirdly, Christ has the fullness of authority over all seeming fullness. The second part of 10. We begin with Christ, the fullness of God in himself. Listen again to the words. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The person indicated is the Messiah. The personal pronoun him is reflexive. It looks back. To Christ, the title at the end of verse 8, Christ is Christus, the anointed, a title. The equivalent of the Old Testament, uh, Mashiach, the anointed of God. The obvious contrast notice cannot be missed, nor should it be missed. Human philosophy, verse 9, or verse 8, 
empty deceit, traditions of men, and the basic principles, the ABCs of the world, do not, cannot make a man one with God. All right? Simple. These only carry off mankind as a spoil to plunder them through these false teachers and spiritual kidnappers. The preposition is specific in him, in the person of Jesus alone, the Messiah. No emanation, no eon of the Gnostics is indicated here as they taught. Now notice the particular points about the person of Messiah is that he lacks nothing in view of deity. The Apostle Paul says the sufficiency of Christ is due that in him dwells this deity. It dwells in him. The word there to dwell is made up of two words. It's a compound word. Um, oiki, which means at home or down. And um, lakoi means to live at home. The same word is used for the believer of Christ dwelling in home in his heart in Ephesians 3.17. And so this deity is a place of natural divinity. It's at home. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. Not a 50-50 bar, 100%. And as God, he became man, and as man, he depended upon the Father and did all things depending on the Father. Now, the tense is the present indicative action that has lasting effects, continuous and um, permanent presence in, at the, in home in Christ. So, in other words, when Jesus emptied himself, he never emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his glory, Philippians 2, 5 says. Let this mind me and use in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God, the word being there in Philippians 2, 5 is what's called an antecedental condition. He was God when he, before he came, he was God when he was here, and he's God when he left. He emptied himself of his glory. He veiled it with a human body while being God. In other words, it is something of his very essence and nature, not something he acquired at any time or one time. It pleased the Father than him all the fullness should dwell, Colossians 1.19 tells us. Now notice the Apostle Paul specifies here exactly what dwells in the person of the Messiah, making him sufficient. All the fullness of the Godhead. The extent of the fullness is total, all. The word pass, it means each, every, whole, everything. The same word is used 39 times in the epistle. Context will indicate what all it's talking about. Context is very important here. Here is the Godhead. The exact totality is stated by the word fullness, pleroma. It's believed to be a favorite word of these intruding heretics to identify the object and goal uh, through their special knowledge 
of the ultimate attainment with God that they were teaching. Okay? Now, the full-blown teaching against the Gnostics is found in 1 John. And uh, there he attacks them uh, tremendously. The second century, it became a full-blown movement against Christianity. Now, the word basically means what has been filled to completeness of its potential. The word was used for a ship ready for a journey, equipped fully with sailors, oarsmen, everything. It lacked nothing. Paul used it for the sum total of the Gentiles that will close the church age before the tribulation in Romans 11.25. Okay, the fullness of the Gentile, the sum total of people to be saved before the rapture of the church. Paul also uses it to describe the complete fullness of time when God sent for the son made of a woman under the law in Galatians 4.4. The fullness of time, right on time, the prophetic time. Now the context indicates the sum total of deity and divine attributes appearing two times, here and in Colossians 1.19. All... Um, that ever resides in God or ever will resides in Jesus Christ, proving he is God. In fact, that's why the Jews, one of the reasons they crucified him, because you as a man make yourself out to be God. He knew exactly what he was saying. So, this is a rejection of the teaching of the Gnostics that the anointing of Jesus came upon him at his baptism and left him prior to his death on the cross. The Jesus of the Gnostics is not the Jesus of the Bible. There are some people who call themselves Christians and by their teaching, they're teaching a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus calling that's very popular in Christian bookstores, it's heresy. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. And pastors tell people to get it. They think it's the greatest book. Really? Wow. Absolute heresy. Um, the prayer of Jabez. Trash. The majority of Christian stores sell Jesus junk. Okay? Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Check everything by your Bible. Your Bible is the plumb line. Not the number of its sales or its popularity. Very important. So Jesus is not an emanation inferior to God, but God himself. The verb form is used five times, translated filled, complete, and fulfilled. All in Colossians here. Chapter 1, verse 9, verse 25. 2.10, Colossians is about the sufficiency of Christ. Okay? You need nothing else. Notice the emphasis is made by the explicit kind of fullness by the term Godhead. It appears only this time in the New Testament. The emphasis is not on divinity, but deity, the state of being God. There is a different word 
to emphasize divinity, translated Godhead and divine in Romans 1.20. Verse 9 is one of the most powerful verses for the deity of Jesus Christ in our text here. Jesus is one of a kind because he is God, and to search for God apart from him means you will never find God. He is God. Now notice the precise point of contact the person of Messiah provides is his identity with humanity. The Apostle Paul declares the sufficiency of Christ is not just that in him dwells all the fullness of Godhead, but the fact that it does so in bodily form. Jesus as God existed from all eternity. Before Abraham was, I am, John eight fifty eight. God said to Moses, I am that I am. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and God was the Word, John 1, 1. The Word became flesh and we beheld His glory. It's the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. A body you have prepared for me to do your will, O God. Hebrews 10.5 As a child, he grew physically. He grew strong in spirit, spiritually. He was filled with wisdom mentally. Jesus tired, thirsted, hungered, wept. He even cried and he died being visible, approachable, and touchable. We saw him. We gazed upon him. We touched him. The importance of Jesus being a man while at the same time being God makes him, his sufficiency, most effective. He is the link to God. The first Adam fell, marring the image of God through sin and death being passed to all men. Romans five twelve. the first Adam. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, did not fail and was victorious. And now either you are in the first Adam as a sinner, lost, blind, and dead, or in the last Adam, quickened and alive and a new creature in Jesus Christ. First Adam, last Adam. Never call him the second Adam. You can say first man, second man, But Adam is the last Adam. There's no other Adam coming. He is it. All right? Very important. He can identify with us and us with him, submitting himself in all trials and testings of man. Listen to him. He says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. Hebrews 2.17. He became just like us, yet without sin. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 2.17. Not that he needed to experience to know how we feel. He is all-knowing, but that we can identify in a practical way. In other words, no one can ever say to Jesus, you don't know what it is to be poor. 
You don't know what it is to be abandoned. You don't know what it is to be accused of something while you're innocent. He includes every sinner in the world. Wow. He became my substitute and died for my sin. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. First John, or um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And in 1 John 2.2, 2, he became the propitiation for our sins, and not ours alone, but the whole world. The propitiation is that which satisfied the wrath of God and made the payment of sin. Jesus was and is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His cousin John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, John 1.29. Jesus tasted death for every human being, and through death rendered powerless the devil who had authority over death. Hebrews 2.9 and 14. He is the intercessor before God. Job, remember, had a problem. He says, There's no daysman betwixt us to lay his hand on us both in Job 9.33. Jesus is the answer to Job. Jesus is the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. In 1 Timothy 2.5. Jesus is the answer to Job's problems. We have, uh, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For God himself addresses him as a high priest forever belonging to the order of Melchizedek in Hebrews 5, 10. The priesthood came through the Aaronic priesthood through the tribe of Levi. Jesus was the tribe of Judah after the other Melchizedek. Melchizedek's in Genesis. He doesn't appear till Psalm 110. And that's it. Then he's fulfilled in Jesus because that's the ultimate priesthood to represent you and I. Paul put it this way. He illustrates it perfectly in 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness... God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Wow. You know who's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now? The God-man. He has a glorified body. His hands bear the piercing. His side. He'll return the very same way. Wow. Wow. Jesus was God before his incarnation, as you know. Paul says that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Um, and as I said already in Philippians 2, 6, that's an antecedent condition. He was God before he came. He was God when he was here. He's God when he left completely. Jesus Christ divested himself of his glory, never of his deity. And therefore... Uh, in uh, John 17, 5, praying to the Father. Really, that's the Lord's prayer in John 17, not the Our Father. Jesus could have never prayed that prayer. Because in that prayer, you're asking for forgiveness of sins. He had no sin. The Lord's prayer is in John 17, 5, where he says, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had before the world was. Because he emptied himself of his glory. And as he paid the price for sin and was resurrected, he was returning back to his glory. 
Okay? The word was manifested. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. The word of life. First John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Jesus was God during the incarnation then. Satan acknowledged him as God in the temptation in Matthew 4 and the other gospel. Since you are God, turn these, bread, these stones to bread. It's not, the word if is since, not no doubt to it. He affirmed he was God. Jesus acknowledged it under oath by the high priest in Matthew 26, 63 and 64. We put you under, under oath. Are you God or not? He says, as you said. The unclean spirits fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God, Mark 3, 11. Everybody's going around saying, Who's Jesus? Oh, he's the Son of Joseph. Nah, yeah, I think he's the son of a centurion guard that Mary uh, you know, had sex with. And, and, but the demons go out by and say, Hi, Jesus, Son of God, what are you doing? Our time not yet come. <laughs> Interesting. Simon said he had seen the Lord Christ as God promised at the temple in Luke 126. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus was God after his resurrection and remained being a man glorified. Jesus says that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Philippians 2, 10 and 11, there is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved in Acts 4:12. Jesus is the right hand of the Father, the place of honor, the place of glory. Uh, Acts 2, 33, and many, many other places in the New Testament. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him and is ever, always, ever lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews seven twenty five tells us. So Christ was not one of the many eons or an angel, but the God-man sufficient to save a person completely. Before me, there was no God form, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord Yahweh, and besides me, there is no Savior. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. John eight fifty six. So Christ is the fullness of Jesus in himself, or the fullness of God in himself being the God-man. That's who he is. Notice secondly, Christians receive the fullness of God in Christ then. And you are complete in him. The affirmation, notice, of the proclamation is that in view of the sufficiency of Jesus as the God-man, they were in union and saved by believing in him, Jesus alone. The personal pronoun you refers to them, the Colossians. They were saints in Christ, brethren in Christ, Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. They were recipients of grace and peace from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Colossians 1, 20, 1 2 also. And they were manifesting faith in Christ and love for all the saints in Colossians 1, 3. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. The tense of the verb, are, is the present. And we're recipients of intercessory prayer by Paul and Timothy. That they walk worthy of the Lord. 
fully pleasing Him, Colossians 1.10 says. That they be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, also 1.10. That they be strengthened with all might according to the power of His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, 1.11 says. That they be qualified by the Father to be partakers of the inheritance at the same of the saints in light, one twelve says, all <clears throat> in Christ. Now notice the confirmation of the proclamation is that in view of the sufficiency of Jesus as the God Man, they were underline this complete in Him. The word complete, again, plural, same root word as the one before. The the one before was a noun form. Here's the verb form. There is a purposeful play on words here in the text, in the Greek. It means having been made full and continue so. It is used to fulfill scripture or prophecy, this word, in Matthew 1.22. It is used of a total accomplishment of ministry duty in Acts 12.25. It is used of being filled with the Holy Spirit totally in Ephesians 5.18. It is used of a ship fully rigged and equipped for voyage in classical Greek. So in view of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah or Christ in whom dwells all the sum total of deity, the God-man, you lack nothing for salvation. That's why he said at the cross, it is finished. Notice the phrase in him and with him. And of his fullness have all we receive and grace for grace, John 1.16 tells us. The implication being to seek something more or apart from Jesus to be complete in salvation is to be ignorant that a person is complete and in all their searching never find it being deceived. For he alone has provided redemption for us through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.14 He alone is the visible form of the invisible God, the preeminent one over all creation. Colossians 1.15 For he alone created all things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether throne, dominion, principalities, or powers, for all was created through him and for him. Colossians 1.16 For he alone is eternal and existed before creation, Colossians 1.17. For he alone is the head of the church, being the first and preeminent one to rise from the dead, the preeminent one over all things, Colossians 1.18. For he alone pleased the Father to such an extent that it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, Colossians 1.19. Do you think this epistle is about the fullness of Christ? (laughs) Amazing. The sufficiency of Jesus for salvation is clearly a finished work. He alone is able to make peace with God for man through the blood of 
Christ. Colossians 1.20 He alone is able to reconcile us who were once enemies of God. Colossians 1.21 He alone is able to present us holy and blameless. Colossians 1.22 He alone is able to supply all wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He alone is able to circumcise our hearts. The life of flesh, sin nature. Colossians 2.11 He alone is able to uh, raise us up as the newness of life. Colossians 2.12 He alone is able to forgive sins. Plural. Colossians 2.13 He alone is able to overcome any power. Colossians 2.15 You see, the Colossians didn't need any special knowledge to bring them to the goal of salvation. They were saved already in Christ. They did not need to seek or go through any intermediaries or emanations to arrive at salvation. So when anybody tells you, well, Jesus is okay. Yeah, he's a good teacher. He's a prophet. But you need it. Watch out for those buts. All right? It's Christ, period. Not Christ, but. It's Christ, period. A classic example is the deception of someone or some who seek to find fulfillment outside of their marriage, thinking that they are lacking something only to defile, pollute, and even lose what they had, being ignorant that what they were searching for, they possessed all along. Wow. When Mormons come to your door and tell you that you also need their um, doctrines of covenant and the membership in the church of the Latter-day Saints to be saved, they lie and they attempt to deceive you. Paul told the Galatians, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, heteros, different kind, then let him be accursed. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. He says it twice. The strongest word, damnation in the Greek, anathema. When Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door and tell you Jesus is a created angel, Michael, the archangel. They lie and are attempting to deceive you. John says in 1 John 22, 22 and 23, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. You cannot have the Father, unless you come through the Son. If you try to go directly to the Father, you get neither the Father nor the Son. Okay? When New Agers tell you that Jesus is only one of many avatars or ascended masters for salvation, they lie and are attempting to deceive you. Simon Peter answers this way. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, <clears throat> Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 16 through 18. Wow. When Catholics tell you that Mary, a canonized saint or virgin, or any other idol can aid your salvation or answer your prayers, they lie, they deceive you. I was born in Mexico City. I was raised a Catholic. I went to Catholic school, Our Lady of Loreto in L.A. You're not going to tell me about Catholicism. I've traveled the world. I've seen Catholicism as a roaring lion. Central America, South America, Mexico, the Philippines. Catholicism in the United States is a pussycat. Abroad, they kill you. Just like Islam. Be careful. Paul tells Timothy, For there is one God and one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 One way, one name, one mediator. Pretty clear to me. It is narrow. One way. No other way. Now either you agree with God or you're against God. There's no C. It's A or B. Scripture says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like God of silvers or stone, something shaped by an arts of man and his devices in Acts 17:29. Christ is all you need, and in him dwells the fullness of Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, completely. And he has given you a divine nature to escape the corruption of this world and many promises in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Without being born again, you couldn't live the life of Christ. Without the divine nature, you couldn't understand the word of God. You couldn't even desire God or anything else. It's that new birth that makes it all possible. We are sons of God. Not the Son of God. Big difference. We are not perfect, but justified. Jesus was sufficient for the demoniac at Gadara, the woman with the issue of blood, Nicodemus, Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, and enough and sufficient for you. If you can be saved, anybody can be saved. but only through the gospel. Christians receive the fullness of God in Christ in view of being the God-man. Notice thirdly, the last part of 10, Christ has the fullness of authority over all seeming fullness. All seeming fullness. Listen to the words, who is the head of all principality and power. The God-man Jesus, who you are complete in for salvation, is the head. The sufficiency of Jesus for salvation is reaffirmed by the fact that he is head. 
The word for head is used as symbolic of authority. It's found three times in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, 2.10, and 2.19. When we speak about something being the head of the family or someone, we mean that that person is one who is uh, having the ultimate authority, the head of the family, the head of the home, the head, the federal government. The husband is said to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. The sufficiency of Jesus for salvation is based on the fact that he has the final authority on prophetic salvation. No one can contradict what he says or what he's done. He fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament as Messiah or Christ. He fulfilled the payment of sin on the cross by his own words. It is finished in John 19.30. The sufficiency of Jesus was questioned often during his ministry, as you know. Hinging on the question of authority. One occasion was in Capernaum as he entered a house and preached the word in Mark 2, 1, 12. By what authority do you do this? The place was so crowded, they lowered the paralytic, remember, through the roof. In Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But he saw the faith of the friends that brought him, not the person who was paralytic. Some of the scribes sitting there reason in their heart. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You got it. But they didn't believe Jesus was God. But immediately when Jesus perceived in their in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he read their hearts. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Verse 8 of Luke 2. Jesus said, which is easier? To say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. I don't have to prove nothing. But really, from the heavenly perspective, the most difficult was to forgive sins. Because a sinless man had to die in the place of another. From the earthly perspective, it's the reverse. And so Jesus says, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Wow. Immediately he arose, took up his bed. He went out in the presence of all of them. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Verse 12. Wow. The God man Jesus, who you are complete in, and I for salvation, is the head of all. Existing forces. 
The word principalities means beginning or origin. It can be used for the beginning of a series or the first person or thing. It can be used for a principality ruler or magistrate. So the context is important. The context determines the meaning. It's found 746 times in the New Testament. Three times in Colossians. Once for Jesus, who was the first in line of the resurrection, Colossians 1.18. The two others are used for the invisible realm of the spirit world in chapter 1, verse 16, and chapter 2, verse 10. The angelic forces. The word powers, exousia, means the ability and right to exercise the authority. It is used of Jesus. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes in Matthew seven twenty nine. This word appears four times in Colossians, all translated power in plural, powers. In chapter 1, verse 13, 16, and chapter 2, verse 10 and 15. Once again, I believe they deal with the invisible realm of the spirit world. You have good angels and bad angels. Against the false teaching was that angels needed to be sought to obtain perfection and completeness. Chapter 2, verse 15. They were worshiping angels, these false teachers. I mentioned last week about Santana and his concert in Mexico in the 90s as he's worshiping angels and telling everybody he sees angels all around. He's not kidding. (laughs) Not only for this reason, but both words, principality and powers, are used by Paul in Ephesians for the spiritual warfare against Satan's angels that are spirits. Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, dominions of darkness in high places. Jesus created all of them. Therefore, he is greater and superior to them. No one is independent of him or above him, but subject to him because he created everything. Colossians 1.16 and chapter 3, verse 1. He created everything. He has authority over everything. He allows, he gives permission. Nothing can thwart his purposes. Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers, those two words right there, having been made subject to him, 1 Peter 3, 22. It's much like um, the head coach of a football team. Though there are assistant coaches and a captain of the team, the ultimate and final authority comes from the head coach. That's Jesus. (laughs) No one else. God knew the potential of man to bow to creation as a separate entity from God. 
So he warned man from the beginning. Listen to Deuteronomy 4.19. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to the heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord Yahweh your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. God made the sun, the moon, the stars, the oceans, everything for us to take advantage and be blessed with. Not to be worshiping them, not to bow down to them, not to fear the creation. When you don't believe in God, then you become a pagan, superstitious, primitive. Galatians 4, 8, 9 says, but then... Indeed, when you did not know God, you serve those which by nature are not God's, small g. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again, you're talking to Christians, to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? The Galatians were being deceived by the Judaizers. Wow. Romans 1, 22 and 23 says, Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts, animals and creeping things. Pantheisms, the worship of all of creation. All is God. The God Pan. Pantheism. So the tree is God. The ocean is God. No, no, no. He created that. But God created the tree. God created the ocean. The God of the Bible. There are cultures that focus entirely on the worship of nature. Animism, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, is the attribution of conscious life to natural objects or to nature itself. The belief in the existence of spiritual beings that are separable or separate from bodies. The hypothesis holding that an immaterial force, animate object, the universe. There are only two powers in the world, ladies and gentlemen. That which comes from God and the Lord Jesus Christ or Satan. No other. Jesus is the highest authority. All angels serve him. And the bad angels have boundaries. Satan has a chain. It's a pretty long chain. But he has a chain. Jesus is the head of all principality and powers. Colossians 2.10 Christ spoiled principalities and powers. Triumph over them. Colossians 3.15, when he descended to the lowest part and led captivity captive, no one could stop him. He is above all principalities, powers, might, dominions, every name that is named, not only in this world, but the world to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Ephesians 1.21 and 22. The church is manifesting God's wisdom to these principalities and powers in heaven. Ephesians 3.10. The believer does not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against 
spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12. You see, God's angels are identified for us in the scriptures. There are seraphim, meaning burning ones, and they fly overhead on the throne of God, proclaiming His holiness, Isaiah 6.23. There are cherubims who appear as the highest order. Lucifer is called the anointed cherub who led one-third of the angels in rebellion against God. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Ezekiel 28.14, Revelation 12.4, and 12.10. So, cherubim next to the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, two wings looking down. Seraphim fly overhead. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Two cover their face, two their feet, two they fly, okay? Then there are archangels. Michael is the only one that's called an archangel. In Jude, there's only one chapter, verse 9. They believe maybe Gabriel and maybe Satan at one time to be one for the Trinity, but that's just speculation. The Bible does not teach that. Angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation, we are told in Hebrews 1, 7 and 14. We see them in the Old Testament. We see them in the New Testament. angel led Peter out of prison. Okay? Jesus spoke these words. Listen. As he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour has come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. And as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as he has given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, 1 through 3. Wow. Christ has the fullness of authority over all seeming fullness, though he is the God-man. Now, do you think you're lacking anything? That's why when people today are being so sympathetic for Christians taking their lives, I question who they are. We were saved out of the world. We had no hope. We were lost. We were with God, without God in the world. Now you're born again. You've come to Christ. You have hope. Suicide is a pagan practice, not a Christian practice. You don't see it in Christian history. No murder shall enter the kingdom of God. Your life is not your own. Five people committed suicide in the Bible. You have... Saul, his armor bearer, Ahithophel, a Jewish king, and Judas Iscariot. You want to hang out with them? I don't think so. It's an emotional argument, not a biblical one. The Bible says, no murder shall enter the kingdom of God. God will release my spirit when he's done with me. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Wow. This is the proclamation of the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is the fullness of God in himself, being the God-man. Christians receive the fullness of God in Christ in view that he is the God-man. And Christ has the fullness of authority over all seeming fullness, though 
He is the God-man. <laughs> Amazing. And the Father did all this for you and for me. Who literally deserve hell and judgment. But he did it to manifest his grace through the person of Jesus Christ. Too much. Father, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We pray you deal with our hearts and we thank you for your son and the sacrifice you made, Father. And so, Lord, we pray for those that are listening in the radio, Lord, or somewhere in the world, on the Internet and here, Lord. If someone doesn't know you, you make yourself known. You speak to their hearts. They will call on your name. If you're out there somewhere, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you're out there somewhere in the world through the radio, maybe in France, maybe in Germany, maybe Russia, maybe China, maybe Mexico, maybe Ballon Park, somewhere. If you don't know Christ, Christ wants to save you, forgive you of your sin. If you want to repent of your sins and be born again, this is your prayer of repentance of Jesus. He's going to forgive you of all your sins and make you a son or daughter right now by grace through faith. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.